we call it uh, long live the omni channel yes. approach to selling, right? Um, and that is not going away. And that's why it's important <clears throat> is, you know, we have, if you look at all the sales technology uh, providers out there, I think there's a little over 1,100 sales tech providers, right? And rewind a couple of years ago, there were 700. Now we've got 1,100 providers that are out there. Um, and if you look at it, a, a big portion of them are focused on this this uh, prospecting um, uh, element, right? Oh yeah. Um, but here's a, here's something to keep in mind: a fool with the tool still fool, is yeah. still a fool. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that is what we have to re we have to reshape the way we're thinking things. And you know, sales leaders, we wake up every every day thinking about several things. One. Uh, I need my sellers um, having more sales conversations. Two, we need to grow the sales pipeline. And three, we need to be able to close out what we've got in the pipeline, right? We can't afford to be able to have these misses. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Mario Martinez Jr. Mario is founder and CEO of Vengrezzo. And in this conversation from the archives of the Sales Enablement Podcast, Mario and I talk about a range of topics. We start by discussing the following conundrum. Why 68% of sellers today believe that the hardest part of selling is prospecting, when low win rates would tell us that actually selling, actually helping the buyer make their decision is actually the hard part of selling. So we get into that. We also dig into the current state of social selling. And then we dive into Mario's four tips for effective selling via social, including why Social selling is not the same as social media marketing and why you should not engage online or offline sales prospecting until you fix your personal and professional brand first. So lots of good stuff here. So we get into all of that and much, much more. But before we get to Mario, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing by leaving us a review. We'd really appreciate that. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it with Mario. Mario, welcome to the show. Andy, I'm excited to be here with you. Thank you for having my friend. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, we have never met. We have not. We have. We are in the same circles, same mm -hmm. social space, but we've never actually done it, anything in person. Yeah, so I'm glad we're able to do this. Hopefully the first of many. So you're, you're based Northern California? Northern California, born and raised, never left, although I might be leaving soon. Uh, oh, really? but yeah, yeah, yeah. We just, uh, my family spent, uh, uh we spent a, a month in Hawaii. We, you know, actually we were well, supposed I to go to, um, supposed to move to Kauai in, um, November of 2020. Um, but then of course COVID sure. happened. So we canceled those plans and then we moved off into Maui, um, and spent a month there looking for a spot. And I think we're, we're pretty settled on, yeah, taking our leap of faith and moving over to Hawaii. Oh my God. Okay. We may talk about nothing else but that this entire episode. But ah, just kidding. But <laughs> but um, so where in Maui? Because I'm we go to Hawaii two three times a year uh, typically, and it's always been sort of a fantasy of mine to <laughs> to move. Yeah, though it's hard because half our kids live in New York, so uh, probably not going to happen. But we'll still go off. And so where in Maui? So if we did go, it would be over on uh, South Kihei uh, yep. area, Wailea. Yeah, um, that's that's one area, or Lahaina. So um, e either one, they're po they're they're total opposite sides of the island. Uh, we're not opposite, but 
Well, yeah, they sure are east and west. Pretty yeah. disparate, yeah, yeah. distant from each other. Um, but essentially, it, it would be a great opportunity to be able to uh, get out there. And my wife, actually, she suffers from an autoimmune disorder. And um, the cold weather is really hard on her in um, California in the wintertime. And by the way, we don't even have cold weather. Yeah, I was going to say, the relative cold, yeah. <laughs> so we definitely couldn't do any of the snowing states, that's for sure. Um, and so, but even the, the cold climate in California is too cold. And, wow. Um, you know, sometimes in the in the winter months, she ends up in a in a in a walker, um, and sometimes in a in a wheelchair um, because it's uh, it, um, the impact is so great on her um, on her. So she's a very young woman, and she uh, unfortunately um, gets arthritic across the whole body, and um, sometimes can't even barely walk. So um, Hawaii, believe it or not, a is lot a of neutralization. Sense. It neutralizes the issue. So um, we've figured it out, and we know what what works well. Wow, I mean, I. Yeah, I love Maui. I love Kauai. I love Honolulu. Um, yeah, very interesting. We, we we actually in November we had a house in November 2020. We had a house in Poipu, right across from Poipu Beach. Yes, uh, it was uh, a great spot. And you know, but the pandemic, we didn't know what was going on and what to do and what was coming next. And you know, it was it was going to flare up or not flare up. So we you know we were forced to cancel that but here we are we are we are where we are and uh we will have make do with what we've got yeah. so we're excited about the potential possibilities and are you going to build a house or just buy an existing place no so the goal would be to rent first to make sure that right uh, we want to live in that particular yeah. area versus lahaina versus kanapali right. versus any other right. area and then once we know where we want to be at and what we love and what area then find something out there uh, likely, we'll uh, we'll uh, keep renting out our house here in the East Bay, which we live in the Lafayette Walnut Creek mm-hmm. area. So uh, we'll we'll head on over and and, and wow. keep this property here in case we ever want to come yeah. back. All right. So Kihei, then you're probably familiar with coconuts. Uh, of course, best fish tacos in the world. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then Monkey Pod now up in in Lahaina and, uh, and Wailea. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And well. they have one Wailea yeah. too. Okay. Yeah, All yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. world's best pies. If you like like chocolate cream pie or banana cream pie. Oh, oh. <laughs> you can't beat the hula pie, man, every night. That's why I came back with an extra 10 pounds. We had hula pie that – well, good news is we shared one big – You know, it's, a, it's Hawaiian style size, yeah, right? Yeah, Hawaiian style size is always big, right? Like they say in Texas, everything's big. So this thing is you know about uh, six, seven inches tall and it's about four inches wide. Uh, so the hula pie – hula pie, hula, excuse yeah. me. Uh, is uh, is amazing. We had one almost every single night. Yeah, I mean, if you go to the Dukes up uh, north of Lahaina, yeah, yeah, yeah. their uh, hula pie is irresistible. So yeah, we uh, <laughs> when we go, we we try to limit ourselves to twice per, per visit when we do that. <laughs> you might as well splurge. It was COVID. Yeah. I'd already gained weight anyways, yeah. twenty five pounds. Yeah, so keep on going, and then I'll lose it all. Lose it all afterwards. All right. Well. Good luck on that. And uh, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to talk about Hawaii because I saw your your pictures and uh, yeah, it's one of my things that I would look forward to doing is spending a month there just to spend more time. I mean, I've been there probably the longest, I think, consecutively. I, well, I was telling something yesterday. I think I've been to Hawaii close to 60 times. Um, 
So we go we go often. We love it, uh, but never for more than two weeks. But I found that when I went for two weeks, I definitely did not want to go back at home. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Once once you're there, you 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 get very sad over over having to leave. Um, and but it it's oftentimes doesn't feel like reality. However, I did make it a reality for me. I worked actually for two weeks. Sure. Uh, consistently, I got up at five, right. finished up by three, three thirty. It was great because I could definitely do the morning, and then at three thirty, uh, latest four o'clock, I was out at the beach with the boys, uh, and then we did dinner, and then we get to bed, and then I worked. You know, it was perfect. It was like it was the, it was a great, sh- a great shift. I never want to. People always say, "Well, why don't you move to Florida? Why don't you move to you know, uh, like you know, uh, South Texas?" And I'm like, I don't want to go forward in time because that means I have to work later hours to support Pacific. <laughs> I want to go backwards in time so that I can get up earlier and then still have my afternoons in the sun. Right. And yeah, hopefully I'm not going to offend anybody too much when I say this, but uh, anybody who makes that comment, well, why not Florida? Has clearly never been to Hawaii. <laughs> That's the only thing you can say. <laughs> because if you had been to Hawaii, you would never make that comparison. It was man was South Texas for sure. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Just not the same, folks. All right. Well, you got that right. So, all right. So, so for people who aren't familiar with Ven Grosso, tell us what you guys do. We've had both Vivica, your co-founders, Vivica and Kurt Shaver, on the show. Um, so yeah, so uh, thanks for asking. So uh, for Vingresso, we are um, uh, basically a virtual sales or digital sales training and technology company focused squarely on helping sellers and sales leaders to prospect better and sell more. Working with clients such as Proofpoint, as an example, Juniper Networks, uh, and even Andy, the world's largest. Vanilla extract company. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> so, so um, uh, from industries all across the spectrum, as as I mentioned, with the world's largest vanilla extract company, um, and we uh, we actually started four years ago um, by merging together um, about seven different companies mm-hmm. underneath one umbrella. And uh, I don't recommend it. It's not for the faint of heart, and I would never do that again um, in that fashion. Right. But in but in fact, um, it's turned out to be a pretty awesome um, ride for um, all of us over the last four years. You know, we we went from taking all this consolidation of IP and, mach- mm-hmm. and materials uh, that we had that we were all doing separately in our separate businesses and brought it underneath one umbrella to bring something to the marketplace. And that created now where we've serviced over a thousand um, companies that we've worked with for digital sales training programs, whether that be social, whether that be video, um, really helping the sellers to use an omni-channel approach to right. prospecting and helping them increase sales pipeline. Well, let's let's dig into the, the prospecting part because um – being somewhere on one of your uh, blogs or something, that you had done some research and you're saying that 68% of sellers told you that the hardest thing about selling today was prospecting. And <laughs> so I have a couple questions about that. So yeah. do we think that's new? I mean, I think that if I went back and took that poll 30 years ago, I would have gotten the same answer. It's a really great question. And the answer is, is it's not new. It's the same problem that we've been dealing with for a very, very long time. Um, so actually, we, we did that um, one of those polls back in June of 2020, and 
of sellers said the hardest thing about sales was Mm -hmm. prospecting. So we gave them four different options and one of them was closing the deal. One of them was, you know, uh, getting budget from the buyer, you know, those types of things. And the other one was, was getting that first conversation. Um, and fast forward to nine months later, post pandemic, uh, or you know, I guess during pandemic, uh, April of 2021, and Hopefully it was the tail to, end of the pandemic. What's yeah. that? Hopefully the tail end of the pandemic. Hopefully the tail end of the pandemic. I guess it depends on the country that you're in, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, hopefully for the U.S., the tail end. But um, sellers reported that it's uh, it was 68.5 percent. So you'll see it's rounded up to 69 percent. So almost 11 uh, an 11 point um, jump, um, and that it. Uh, what I would say is, is it's never become more talked about now than than it is than it was in the past. And I think that's the difference, right? In the past, we were using different channels. We'd use email, we use phone, and we saw that these channels were effective um, in being able to use them. But what we figured out as a sales leadership team is, and again, if you look at Merrill Lynch as a great example, Merrill Lynch has six years worth of data that they collected that their um, brokers had been using the cold call to be able to try to connect with prospects. Well, in the pandemic, it came to a screeching halt. Why? Because everybody else is using the phone. Everybody else is using email. Email um, went up between February 2020 and 2021 by uh, 40.8 billion more emails, 40.8 billion more emails. Uh, And our meeting ratio went up uh, by over 140% on a per-person basis, and that's published by Microsoft. So if you think about that, these channels that used to be extremely effective um, or more effective than what they are now are extremely much less ex- effective now. And I think that's one of the challenges is what you said. You know, you pointed out something that said, hey, is, wouldn't sellers say that this was one of the hardest things five years ago? Yes. Ten years ago? Yes. That's always been the hard thing, but now it's even harder as a result of using channels that frankly are not getting the same level um, sets of responses. Yeah. I mean, interesting. I, unfortunately we didn't track data back 30 years ago about stuff like this. Cause I, I'm, I'm curious about that. Cause I mean, so here's, here's one of the things is <laughs> sort of one of my, I don't know, pet peeves you might say, or, or whatever is that, you know, if you look at the sales literature that's out there online and yeah, you and I both are, uh, Contributors to that, yeah. <laughs> either either good or bad. Um, but in general, I would say that roughly two thirds to three quarters of the content that's published about sales is about top of funnel activity. And and I've done this is purely me going through and you know looking at things right and just sort of estimating. But a disproportionate amount compared to where the action really happens, which is, it's great to have a prospect, but if we can't convert the prospect to a customer, we don't have a business. And I was wondering why why we seem to be so focused on that. Because, I mean, you could take one look at the business and say, okay, well, in the SaaS business, a lot of these companies operate on sort of a win rate. It's sort of like 20% roughly. And it's, you know, the industry standard is not much different than that. Right. Now, to me, that would argue that the problem is not shortage of prospects. It's the inability to sell once we have a prospect. So I'm just curious because, you know, this is your business. You're in this. Why do we seem so fixated, disproportionately fixated on, on top of funnel? Again, we have to do it. But 
I'm just wondering whether we're all buying into a, a narrative that maybe is the wrong narrative. So that's interesting you say that. So let me give you a different perspective. Yeah, that please. Is if, you, if, if you look at the uh, you know top 25 sales training companies, um, if, if you look at the 200 sales sure. training companies that are out there, um, 90% of them only focus on from a rep saying hello to the close. 90% of, that, of their training efforts. Mm-hmm. There are very few companies and tr- sales training companies that are focusing on that, what we call pre-hello, right? right. Uh, all that prospecting efforts that happen here. And that's where Vingresso, frankly, fits in and sure. why you know, so many of the training companies like Miller Hyman and Challenger and Sandler and Corporate Visions and Rain Group and mm-hmm. you know, all those other you know, well-known sales training companies, why we actually partner with all of them uh, because we don't compete and they don't have anything in relation to prospecting. Now, right. albeit, I would argue that, uh, and, and support your, your, your statement that um, I believe once you have a hello – the hardest thing about it is getting those things to close. And if we can increase our close percentage rates from 20% to say 30%, we can increase our bottom line or our top line revenue, right? Oh, Without a doubt. So that is very important. And that's why so many training companies are focused in on, on, on that particular aspect. I think, however, one of the challenges that we are seeing while everybody's talking about um, top of funnel type of activities, most of that content that's out there um, is pretty much crap. Well, yeah. And here's what I I didn't say that, it, but yes. Yeah, yeah. I'll say it because they're basically it's some content writer that is in a marketing organization that is basically trying to write for SEO purposes and it really brings no value added content. For example, if you look at our definitive guide to prospecting and compare that to the other top 10 articles that appear on page 1. Hands down, our article is relevant, provides context, gives a plan, tells customers what they should do and how they should do it based upon research and data, whereas all the other ones are just doing it from a Google SEO perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is the difference where I think we've taken it from a pure prospecting standpoint. Um, First off, there's content out there, but most of it, I think, um, is not that great. And more importantly, we bring it from a perspective of here's what we focus on and only what we focus on. And the challenge is this, Andy, it's not so much that this is a new problem. No, this has been an age-old problem that we've had for a long time. It's not so much that we're fixated on the um, top of the funnel process because, um, frankly, the the rule of thumb is is, uh, more conversations equals more pipeline and then better closing skills equals uh, close one deals, right? And we're we're missing the last bit, but yeah, go ahead. Yep, we're we're all focused on on this area right here. The problem that happens is that most VPs of sales are our age and older, 45 and older, right? And we were never trained to prospect in the digital era. Correct. E- example, if you receive a video message from a salesperson, how do you know what's a good video message? How do you know how much time that that sales rep ha- should uh, um, or has to be able to capture your attention that you can then coach your sellers mm-hmm. to, hey, by the way, you've got seven to 15 seconds to capture that person's attention when they've clicked on your video. Okay, well, well let's rewind backwards now. Well, how do you get them to click? Mm-hmm. Well, what's the science when, when your sellers are sending out an email? What is the number one trick to get someone to open up the email? 
Ask any sales leader, 45 and older, and they're going to say, (laughs) they don't know because we didn't prospect that way. And so we are um, severely disadvantaged at the 45 and older at that VP level and above because we frankly have a perspective, but that perspective is not based based upon data and it's not based upon experience. Mm -hmm. And we hear this all the time. Hey, well, if you can't get them on the phone, right, and you've tried cold calling them and they're not responding to your email, uh, go, go connect with them on LinkedIn. Go see if you can get them on LinkedIn. Um, uh, send them a video. Great. Well, what should you do to be able to get that connection? Uh, what should that video include so that you actually bring value mm-hmm. to that particular conversation? And that's one of the big problems that we're seeing. So – Give us some hints of solutions then. Mm. Well, let's go rewind back to um, the use of a video. Sure. I don't know if you've yeah. ever seen this, and, and, and let's, let's use a – hopefully you've seen this and you've, you've been, quote, prospected to by sellers. Oh, yeah, um, constantly. All the time, yeah? yeah? All right. Have you ever received a video message from a seller? Yes. Okay. On that video message – did you ever see this? Now, for those of you listening and you can't see what I'm about to do here to Andy, so I'll narrate what I'm about to do audibly sure. so you can hear this. But did you ever see this big old giant play button in front of someone's face? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, you're, you're holding your fist up. But yeah. <laughs> I'm holding my fist up right in front of my face so that Andy can see me visually. And what can't you see when my fist, which is the play button on the, on the actual thumbnail – Right. What can't you see, Andy, when this play button is sitting right in front of my face? Your face, your expression. Yes. You can't see smile. Right. You can't see eyes. So the first thing that we do when we see a video, first off, we all know that top five marketing tactics uh, um, for um, uh, marketers is includes the use of video. So video is powerful. Video is mm-hmm. amazing. 59% of executives report that they watch one business-related video at least per week. Um, also, we know that video has can do something for um, uh, for a engagement, which is it's the visual piece. I now can see that individual, but what am I looking at in in milliseconds? What do humans do when they see someone? Oh, they make a judgment. Absolutely, they make a judgment, and that that judgment is either I'm going to trust this individual or I'm not going to trust this individual inherently. Yeah, and now we don't know if we can fully trust. But we make that judgment of is it safe to click or is it not safe to click? Yeah, I'd go that far, right? Yeah, it's there's yeah, the science is called precognitive processing, and we all do it. Two hundred percent exactly. And if we have that play button, oh, I'm sorry, Andy, go ahead. What'd you say? Yeah, I mean, it's I wrote about that in my second book. You have two hundred fifty milliseconds is the amount of time that we take to form that perception. We're not even aware we're doing it. Exactly right. Precognitive, we just do it. Yes. Exactly right. And if that play button is sitting on top of your eyes and your smile and your mouth, you've lost that opportunity to be able to pull that particular buyer into the video. Another example, and this came uh, from well, data a quick, from – a question on that one though. So yeah. just get very practical on this. So is, is for all the tools that are out there that people might use to, to create a video message um, – can they control the placement of the play button? No, except for one. Actually, BombBomb actually controls the placement and puts that play button at the bottom of the screen, mm-hmm. whereas all the other ones have that play button sitting right here in the front of your face as the general rule of thumb. 
Um, and so, no, you can't control it, but you can control the thumbnail. And that's right. what we do in, in our training. When we're training on the skill of sending a video, whether you're using Loom, OneMob, Videolicious, Hippo Video, Vidyard, doesn't matter. Right. Any of those tools and technologies, it's no longer where this play button's here. Guess what we do, teach our sellers how to do? We off-center ourselves with a wave, right? and that play button is now somewhere between on our shoulder, and you can see our smile, you can see our eyes staring straight at you, and you get that giphy image that's going on. Right. So you displace yourself, and this is a great example of where sales leaders say, send that video, but they don't know how to inspect what it is mm -hmm. that will get results. Mm -hmm. And that is one super simple um, tip that, that we have in teaching somebody. But guess what? That is a skill that you have to teach sellers. Kind of like, remember the old days, Andy, when we were cold calling? <laughs> yes, unfortunately, yes. When we were cold calling, we had a Y connector. We sat in someone's cube, we listened to their calls, we would listen to what yeah. was good, what was bad, They and then they'd put us on the phone and our sales manager would sit next to us and they would listen to what we did well, what we didn't do well, and they would coach us along the way, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So, we're now cold prospecting using a different medium video, social, text, direct mail. And we as leaders have not trained our sellers. We've not put that plugged in that Y connector to be able to coach them on what's good and what's bad because we simply don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's why we exist, right? That's one example. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, new technologies like, you know, Ring DNA's uh, Yoda AI, which is, you know, real time sort of guidance for the seller in the midst of the call, which is the next step beyond that then is is because you can set that up ahead of time to cue on certain keywords and so on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and so by by the way, that Y connector is now a virtual Y connector, like the ring DNA yep. solution, right? Or or yep. whisper from from some of the other players that are out there in the marketplace, right? Uh, there, there there are all kinds of really other great solutions to virtualize this for that call for the call, but we're yet we're focused on the call. What we need to realize is, is there, there are, at, I have customers today. We just um, worked with a large Fortune 100 for a 2,000 person global sales uh, deployment of our prospecting training, which just signed actually in, in the month of May. Well, congratulations. And thank you. And, and um, if I were to message the uh, CSO on email, inevitably, I always, always, always receive a one word answer back. But if I message him through text mm -hmm. or through social, mm -hmm. guess what? We're having a nice little conversation. Right. On the flip side, I have another buyer, which is uh, Proofpoint, one of the largest uh, cybersecurity companies in the world. And um, I have a buyer there that if I email, I will never get a response back. Mm -hmm. But if I text between 5.30 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. his time – guess what? I'm getting a response back, right? right? So some customers will not engage on one channel, yet they will engage on another channel because that's what they like, that's what they're comfortable with, and that's what's made our job much more difficult, not only in pandemic, but even post-pandemic and certainly pre-pandemic is the buyer changed the game. There's all kinds of mediums now that we as sales leaders have to understand, hey, I was trained on how to cold call. Why are we not training our sellers on how to use video? how to use social, how to use email correctly, how to get conversions on those emails to get people to click open my actual email. 
Yeah, but I, I would extend your point though and say that you know beyond you know lead gen you know activity that you're using these tools for, the same thing applies to any communication interaction you have with buyers is the range of channels that you can use and should use. A, depends on the buyer and their preference, and you have to be alert and aware of what those are. And, you know, I said that imperative exists throughout the entire entire channel. I mean, I just look at myself with my my LinkedIn inbox <laughs> is, yeah, I, I spend more time on that than my email inbox. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's just the way that it's easier to communicate with people. I like messaging as opposed to, you know, the informality of messaging as opposed to, you know, when I have to write an email, I tend to get more formal about it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, you have to adapt to where your customers are, the way they want to communicate. Yeah, well, we call it uh, long live the omni-channel yes. approach to selling, right? Um, and that is not going away. And that's why it's important sure. <clears throat> is, you know, we have, if you look at all the sales technology um, providers out there, I think there's a little over 1,100 sales tech providers, right? And Rewind a couple of years ago, there were 700. Now we've got 1,100 providers that are out there. Um, and if you look at it, a, a big portion of them are focused on this, this uh, prospecting um, uh, element, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but here's, a, here's something to keep in mind. A fool with the tool still a fool, is yeah. still a fool. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that is what we have to re- we have to reshape the way we're thinking things. And you know, sales leaders, we wake up every every day thinking about several things. One, uh, I need my sellers um, having more sales conversations. Two, we need to grow the sales pipeline. And three, we need to be able to close out what we've got in the pipeline. Right? We can't afford to be able to have these misses. Yeah, and the point I made earlier is is I think we're not paying enough attention to the last bit. And win rates show that, I believe, and they don't need to. And you know, one of the effects is that if low win rates is you end up burning through big chunks of your market with really bad interactions. And you can't revisit those oftentimes very quickly. Um, so I, 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 to me, it seems just a little bit out of whack in terms of the amount of effort and attention paid to it. But to your point, it is complex. It's more complex than it ever has been. And people aren't appropriately trained. And I think that's sort of true throughout the entire sales process, regardless, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, that's the, the big thing that, that low win rates points out is that we're just not executing discovery, needs analysis, qualification, all the things that seem very fundamental. Something is, is this connection with the way we've been doing it, with the way buyers are buying, is fundamentally broken. And Absolutely. Yeah, definitely needs to be a different perspective. I think it's it's more about perspective, I think, than anything else in terms of understanding what we're trying to accomplish with the buyers. Yeah. You know, what would be really nice is if uh, buyers, uh, you know, if they had, a, if they had uh, some sort of flag out or some sort of a message board that said, here are my three priorities for the quarter. Only contact me if you can solve one of these three priorities, but don't contact me if you can't, right? Because <laughs> we waste so much time as sellers trying to reach out to buyers who don't necessarily have a problem right. that they are interested in solving at that point in time. Um, and that's the hard part is, you know, especially on the outbound prospecting, inbound is a little differently because someone's proactively potentially raised their hand sure. and said, hey, I have this problem. Right. But on the outbound you're basically shooting in the dark and you have no idea whether or not if I call up Andy Paul today, whether or not Andy has got this particular problem that I solve for my particular product or solution. 
And if they don't have that problem or they're not paying attention to that particular problem at this point in time, or maybe they're not aware of that problem, then likely you're not going to be moving that deal forward anytime soon. Well, I think that's one of the fundamental disconnects, right, is, is that um, as sellers, we pitch before we understand the buyer, right? It's fundamental sales motion. And yeah. that's problematic and increasingly problematic for, for buyers, I believe. And I think that the, the, one of the perspectives that cha- needs to change is this, well, let's take a step back, because is, is, I talk about this a lot, is you know, buyers generally resist salesy behavior, right? You know, I like to say as the buyer will never ask you to be more salesy, right? Hey, Mario, I like your product. You guys just aren't salesy enough. Could you be more salesy? Right. They're never going to say that. But that's sort of the default way that we train sellers. I don't believe that being salesy is innate human behavior. I think it's it's learned behavior. And so don't we have the imperative as a profession and training and, and coaching and so on to say, yeah, there's a different way we need to teach our people how to behave and act that aligns with what buyers will accept. And if we don't think that yeah. that has an impact yeah. on what really is very low productivity, in my estimation, in sellers, and come measured by win rates and so on, it absolutely does. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, and that's why... Uh, one of the reasons why I, you know, I've called on IT leaders, I've called on HR leaders, I've called on marketing leaders, um, and sales leaders. And my favorite buyer to call on is a sales leader <laughs> because we're going to cut to the chase. <laughs> you're, you're you're always generally not going to be rude and cut somebody off, especially if they get you on the phone, mm-hmm. right? We might ignore the email, uh, but we know when the when we know when someone's uh, coming up coming to us for a reason. And we're going to be like, either I have that problem or I don't have that problem. And it's pretty easy to be able to weed out what you want to be talking to, what you don't want to be talking to. That's one of the reasons why I love talking to sales leaders. Yeah, well, I wonder whether you have the same impulse that I do, which I have to resist all the time, which is to coach people when they approach me. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a malediction. It's my curse. I can't I can't not take the cold call, and I can't not help myself. We're a training I company. I can't not help myself telling them. You know, if you had done this, my it would have been. But you wouldn't have got the sale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I receive. Yeah, we have 150 episodes a year of this podcast. I receive roughly a thousand pitches per year uh, to be on the show, and <laughs> yeah. Just the things that people do, which I'm sure they're doing when they're they're pitching customers, right? That's the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. I just have, I could spend my entire day uh, trying to help people with that. But <laughs> to your point, I don't have that time. But um, do you ever accept? I don't know. As a total side note, I, I get them too because we sure. have the Modern Selling Podcast, right? And I get the the pitches. Usually, it's from the PR companies or the book the podcast booking companies. Uh, that's what I love. The the, the, the even there is even a name for it now. There is a name for it. <laughs> do, do, do you? I, I could think of maybe out of the last probably three hundred, I said yes to to uh, to two. Total of two. I can think of only two people I said yes to. And that was because, number one, 
I knew both of those individuals. Right. And number two, I had intended on having those CEOs from those sales technology companies on my podcast anyways. So that is the only reason why I accepted the, those two things. I'm just curious. Did you ever accept them? I do. I do. Because yeah, part of my mission is that I think that we need new voices in sales. And, okay, fair enough. You know, we don't have enough new voices in sales. And so, yeah, if I hear of somebody interesting, but – to caveat that, if it's not one uh, an email or a pitch that was sent to me personally, right? If I I can tell most of the time, right? We're not all 100% perfect on this. If it's you know, hey, this is this is a part of a cadence they're sending out to potential podcast hosts. Those I reject right away. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, I'm looking for something that has interesting something interesting to say, and we're you know we do a lot of episodes, so yeah, we're trying to change the conversation around sales. So yeah, I do. I look at them. Um, yeah, most of them are rejected, obviously, because you only have <laughs> we had six for every one or eight for every one that we, we do. Um, yeah. But yeah, it has to be good. And I've had people, I've had individual salespeople that have been on the show, that are going to be on the show, that sent me a note that was like, of course I'll have you on. That was a great pitch. <laughs> I mean, it's mm. like, Sure, love it. Yeah, you know, if they do a great job, I'm gonna probably have them on the show. Uh, nice, nice. Yeah, because they've they've shown a voice, and that's that's what we want. Fabulous. Well, yeah. Most of mine are usually the uh, the, yeah. the the book author who's from you know who's written a bazillion one thousand books and has all kinds of you know different following, and it's just like um that's that's not I'm B two B sales like I that's not <laughs> that's not even the right target. <laughs> All right, but Mario, I am going to pitch you next year when my book comes out. So just FYI, <laughs> putting on. You order. don't need to pitch. Me. You don't need to pitch me, Andy. You get an automatic invitation right, well, to join the you. Modern Selling Podcast. <laughs> thank you. I look forward to that. Well, hey, I want to go through something real quickly that uh, you know it doesn't get talked about as much. That made the terminologies change around in terms of social selling because you guys have deep expertise in this and. And it's funny, that social selling sort of had its moment, and there are a bunch of people that sort of push back against this notion of social selling. And but the fact is that whatever you want to call the motion, it's become more important than ever. I mean, LinkedIn yeah. has become more important than ever. If you're not paying attention there, then yeah, you're not giving yourself the full advantage of, of the platform. So you had you published something about four social selling tips I thought was really interesting. Um, I just wanted to run through those. Do you recall that article? I do know that article. Was that the one with the uh, toilet scene? <laughs> you know, I don't remember. I was, <laughs> okay, all right, the picture. <laughs> I know. I think I know which article you're talking all about. Right, so tip one was, as a salesperson, whatever you do, do not engage in online or offline sales prospecting until you fix your personal and professional brand. So let's talk about that because this whole idea of personal and professional branding certainly has come to the fore over the last year, year and a half. Right. So, um, so here's the, here, here, here's the rationale behind the um, professional branding component. First off, if you're going to leverage a social medium and engage with a potential buyer, the probability of them clicking on your profile and looking back at you is extremely high. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, uh, LinkedIn ran a uh, state of buyer, uh, the state of the today's um, buyer report um, earlier, um, sorry, at the end of last year. And they reported that 72% of buyers 
who are engaged by our seller, whether it's through call or whether it's through email or LinkedIn, will actually look back at a seller's profile. Right. What are they looking for? They are looking for who is this person all about? Mm -hmm. What do they do? How do they help? Who do they help? And in most cases, our seller's profiles speak to quota-crushing sales rep, best contract negotiator, all-time president's club earner, right? Um, And the best at whatever it is. So if you think about this from this perspective, we are having our sellers go out there and engage through social channels. And their buyers are looking back at their profile. And what they see is a resume, Mm -hmm. not a resource. Right. And that's the issue with don't go out there and tell your folks to go leverage LinkedIn until you fix the branding problem. And the branding problem is you got to have the messaging that speaks to who you help, how you help, and what business problem you solve. Ensure you've got the right media on there. And think of it this way. Let's just say you've got 100 sellers or 10 sellers or 10,000 sellers. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You may not realize this as a sales leader that is listening in and or a marketing leader that's listening in. But did you know? that you could theoretically create 10 or 10,000 mini company abc.com micro websites. Keyword optimized. Right. With multimedia, content, messaging. And now when your seller goes and engage through social, that buyer is going to look back and they're going to make an assessment. Do I have the problem that this seller is speaking to? The other thing that we want to be thinking about, too, is is, um, a picture says a thousand words. Right. We've known this for eons worth of time. But do you know how many sellers and sales leaders have pictures that is them at the wedding, (laughs) them with an arm over the shoulder, or worse yet, Andy. Glamour shot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Worse yet, they don't have the setting turned on. So that when a buyer comes to their profile and they're a second degree connection or third, they can't see the seller's picture. And these are the types of things that are so basic and fundamental to right. would you ever show up, Andy? Let's just let's let's you use a real life example. Let's just say we're gonna go attend a networking event as we've always done. Right. You go to a networking event and you walk in with a bag Over your on head. your head. <laughs> Yeah. Would you ever do that? No, I don't. I mean, do you accept connection requests from people that don't have a photo? And that, that, there you go. So, so here's the thing. We don't even think about this digital calling card that, that is out there, this digital website and CMOs have, uh, we, we talk to companies that go through rebranding all the time. And one of the, the last things is, is, oh my God, why didn't we think of rebranding our 1,000 sellers that we've got or our 10 sellers, whatever? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. We never thought about that. Uh, hello, and right. also sales leader, this is not a marketing problem. This is a sales, sales problem. problem. Let me give Absolutely. you an example. When your salesperson comes on board, do you give them the auto signature that they that they should have? A nice standard template that they should have on there so they can you know represent with maybe a CTA, a banner, or something like that? Well, What's the difference between the banner on the, and the auto signature on the email that you give them or uh-huh. the voicemail script that you give them mm-hmm. v- 
versus the, the, the script or the template that you give them so that when someone comes to their digital calling card, their profile, that it speaks to, again, who you help, how you help them, what business problem you solve. Yeah. That is why we say do not, under any circumstances, tell your rep or rep, if you're listening, to go out there and engage without fixing your brand first. 100%. Make sure you map to the buyer's journey. That's the issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you got me all sparked up. <laughs> well, yeah, and unfortunately, we're running out of time. We're going to have to have you back and talk about this because this is something I'm very passionate about as well. And, and yeah, you said 72%. I know Rain Group did a study. is 82% of buyers look at a profile before they talk to a seller. It's huge, right? And yeah, I want to have you back. We'll talk about the next sort of level, too, is just about this whole idea of I think sellers as part of their brand need to have a point of view about what they do. And... Uh, this is still, unfortunately, in many quarters, controversial that, yeah, we don't want reps, quote unquote, creating content. Uh, I don't think you avoid it these days if you're a seller and you want to succeed, but um, we'll have you back and we'll talk about that. In the meantime, if people want to read the rest of this article, go to vengrezzo.com and, and check it out, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Four tips to social selling or the definitive guide to prospecting. So either one. Uh, and thank you for having me on the show too, Andy. I oh, Mario, appreciate my it. pleasure. And yeah, we'll definitely do it again because we're just getting started on this. <laughs> what I actually prepared most of the questions to ask you about. <laughs> so as oftentimes happens on this show, we'll have you back. It'll be a good, a good reason to do it. So if people want to connect with you, LinkedIn, right? Uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Make sure you say you heard me on, on on Andy's podcast here. And so I know personalized, please personalized connection requests so I know how we are connected. Excellent. All right, Mario, thank you so much. Andy, thank you, buddy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Mario Martinez Jr. for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you for that, and thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.